Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Hey, uh, how many of you guys like pranks? Any, anybody in here like to, to pull off? Nobody likes to be pranked, but... Uh, I'm a prank kind of guy, and uh, I came across one of the all-time greatest pranks this week when I was studying for the message, all-time greatest. It was this elaborate uh, youth camp prank about the rapture. And so here's what happens. The, the, The staff at the camp... They get all, the, uh, all the, the, the teenagers and stuff together, and the director has got to go off-site to run some errands, right? And so when he leaves, they all get together, and uh, they come up with this kind of plan. And so the camp director comes back to the camp from running the errands, and everybody's missing, all right? Like all the kids, everybody's missing. He starts walking around and he sees clothes laying on the ground all over the place. And uh, he walks into the kitchen and it looks like somebody's cooking a meal, but nobody's in there. And uh, I don't know who the brilliant one was, but somebody figured out a way to take the pontoon boat that was on the lake and to get it to, to run in circles with nobody on it. And... Uh, and so then they, uh, they, they had talked to the, uh, one of the police captains that was a good friend of the director to, uh, to call the director at just the right time. And so the director's there and all this chaos is happening and, and, uh, and he gets a phone call from uh, the police captain and he says, do you have any idea what's going on? Because everybody's missing over here at the police station. And um, the director said, like, in that moment, like, everything, like, the blood started draining out of his, uh, I mean, he just, I mean, just felt so freaked out in that moment, thinking that the Lord had come back and he was the only one that was left. Um, Oh, man, that is an all-time best uh, prank and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't know about your journey, like uh, maybe you've been at church all your life, or uh, maybe this is the first time you've ever been at church, you picked a great, uh, a great day to, um, to join us today as we talk a little bit about the rapture and, and the tribulation, but um, I, think that, um, I think that most of us have experienced at some point or another this, this fear of the unknown as it relates to to Jesus coming back and whether we would be left behind or not. I, I don't know if you know this, but there's an actual, um, there's an actual like diagnosis or phrase for this kind of fear of the unknown of Jesus coming back and us being left behind. It's called rapture anxiety. Anybody ever have rapture anxiety before? I, I remember when I was younger as a kid and um. I had gone to church some with my grandparents and, and uh, our house wasn't, we didn't really go to church that much. And I remember coming home and uh, the house was completely empty and um, everybody was supposed to be home, but, but empty. And just the eeriness of the quiet, the stillness in the house, I had this like 
this moment, it had to have lasted like a couple seconds, but it felt like it was 30 minutes. Like this moment where fear came all over me and I thought that Jesus had come back and I didn't make it and I was, my mind was going all over the place. And then I realized that, that the family was out in the backyard. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever have a moment like that? Uh, well, today, um, today we're going to talk a little bit about the rapture. We're going to talk a little bit about some of those events um, that's going to take place as we continue our series called The Space Between, where we've been talking a little bit about how to live life and how to thrive in life in the space between now and the end of time. And so today, what I want to do is I want to I kind of peel back the curtain just a little bit on the end times and uh, I want to try to provide some clarity around uh, two important questions. The first one is this, is what can we expect in the end times? And then second, what should we do? Like, what should we expect and what should we do? Today, if you're taking notes, uh, I've entitled today's message, No One Left Behind. No One Left Behind. Hey, turn to two people, say, No One Left Behind. No one left behind. Hey, before we jump into um, today's message, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 here in a few minutes. Um, I want you to do this. I want to take like 30 seconds. I want everybody to pull out a black and white prayer card. Those are located in the seat back in front of you. Uh, grab a pen um, as well. And I got a huge favor, and I'm going to explain why we're doing this towards the end of the message. But uh, pull out one of those prayer cards and, um, and grab a pen. And here's what I want to um, ask you to do. I want to take just a couple moments. I want you to look at the screen, and I want you to see up here that there are 10 different pain, what I would call pain points. These are, these are like tensions. These are difficulties, struggles that we, um, that we face in life. All of us have faced, um, faced probably all 10 of these in our lifetime at some point. But I want you to do this. I want you to write down the letter that corresponds with um, whatever pain point that you are feeling right now in this season of life. Not what you're feeling because I just said that we're talking about the rapture and the tribulation. Not that. I'm talking about your everyday life right now in this season that you're in. Um, what have you been navigating? What emotions, uh, feelings of inadequacy or, or maybe some impatience or a lack of peace or um, thinking about your future and future plans, um, whatever they are, just write down, you know, two or three uh, of them that you're kind of walking through right now. And then as soon as you're done, flip it upside down. Don't put your name on it. Don't got to do that. Flip it upside down and then pass it to your right. And our ushers are going to come down and they're going to collect those. And um, I'll share what, um, um, why we're doing this uh, here in just a little bit. But um, just mark a couple down and turn it upside down and then pass it over to your right. Yeah. If I could sing, I would sing. Have a little Jeopardy music going right now. That'd be kind of cool. So once you've done that, uh, grab your Bible or smartphone and head to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All right, so, um, 
So we've been in this series called The Space Between. If today's your first time here, uh, let me give you just a quick little synopsis uh, of what we're doing. So we've been on this journey walking through uh, First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to uh, a group of believers in uh, T-Town. And, um, they, and if this is your first time, I call it T-Town because I can't pronounce the city's name. I just butcher it. But um, so he's writing this letter, this um, group of young believers, Paul had been in their midst and had, had preached in the area and a lot of people had come to, to know Christ and then um, he had to leave and he is now writing to these young believers and he's writing kind of... Um, really with three things on his heart, that he's, he's trying to encourage them because uh, the amount of persecution that they are facing in that day and age and as young Christians, and they just keep kind of pushing through and persevering. And so he's wanting to write to them to encourage them for the way that they're living their life. But he's also wanting to challenge them. And we talked about a few weeks ago that uh, he had, uh, Paul had told them that, hey, you love well, you do a great job loving people, but I want you to love them even more. And we talked about how that's kind of like a, a personal trainer that will encourage you that you're working hard, but they see more potential in you than where you're at currently. And so they'll push you a little bit harder. And so he's writing to encourage them and to challenge them, but he's also writing to provide some clarity on how to live in the space between. And so in chapter five, the first three verses uh, here, he is providing some clarity around that first question of what can we expect in the end times? I want us to look at it. In verse one, he writes this, now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. And, and here's what he's saying here about the need to not necessarily have to write is because one, they have um, the ability to read through some of the Old Testament writings, which speaks a lot about the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Um, but also when Paul was there for that period of a month or two months, um, early on, he had taught them about the second coming of Christ. He had talked a lot about who Jesus is and that Jesus is coming back. And, and so Paul is kind of taking this moment. He's like, listen, I, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to provide some clarity, although you already know some of this stuff. And he's, he uses this phrase in verse one when, when he says all this. And here what I, here's what I want you to understand about these two words, all this, is that um, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible was not originally written with chapters and verses. So that's something that came about in 1227 AD. In 1227 AD, they began to... Um, uh, break the Bible up into chapters and verses so that the readers could, could, could easily understand it better. And so when Paul is saying, so when, when you look at what we're going through with these chapters, you've got to imagine that this, from Paul's standpoint, this is a continual thought right? Just because we go from uh, chapter four to chapter five doesn't mean it's a different thought. It's a continual thought. And Paul is, when he says all of this, he is merging. He's like, he's bridging the gap between what he talked about in chapter four 
and what he's going to talk about in chapter 5. And so we see in verse 2, he says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return, and I want to I say this, if you look throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, you will see that phrase, day of the Lord. And that refers to the end time events. And here's what Paul writes. He says that on the day of the Lord's return, that it's going to come, what? Unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Now, when Paul says this in verse 2, when, when he's talking about the day of the Lord, he's referring here, talking about the thief in the night, referring to the rapture. The rapture we talked a little bit about last week. That is the, the moment that Jesus comes back and, and the dead in Christ rise and those that, that are living and still here rise and join with them. We talked about um, the commanding voice of, of Jesus and, and the trumpet call. We talked about all of that stuff. That is that, is that moment. And what, what we have to understand about the rapture is the rapture is the moment that the clock starts for the end times. It is the moment that, that God clicks the button on his iPhone uh, 23 version or whatever it is at that time, and the end times start. Now, I want to I want to help you visualize this um, for a minute. So we made this diagram, and I want you to see the diagram so that you can kind of understand the timing of what's happening. And so if you notice on the far left-hand side, it says present church age. That is the period of time that we are living in right now. And then you'll notice that at some point, and there's more verses, but I didn't want to like get into over complicate it. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul talked about the rapture that happens. And this moment between the present church age and the rapture, the moment that's going to be unexpected, that's going to come like a thief in the night, the easiest way for me to explain what's happening in the spiritual realm um, between those moments is to compare it to uh, this horrific event that happened back in 1889 called the Johnstown Flood. I don't know if you've heard of the Johnstown Flood, but Johnstown was a, a community in Pennsylvania, and it was located about 14 miles downstream from the South Fork Dam. And what happened is, is on May 31st, 1889, that dam ruptures, and it releases over 4 billion gallons of water towards Johnstown, killing 2,208 people. And when we think about the present church age and we think about the rapture and those two, those two kind of events in the timeline, I want you to imagine it in this way, that it's the period of time where the raging waters of God's wrath are pounding away at the dam of his mercy. Let me say that again. The raging waters, right, of God's wrath, the judgment that will soon come, the promised judgment, that it's pounding away at the dam of his mercy. And we know this if you look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, 
it says that the Lord isn't, he's not really being slow about his promise. Like what's really happening is that, that God's wrath is pounding against the dam of God's mercy. And as some people think, he says, no, he is being patient. Why, why is that dam of mercy there? Because he is being patient for your sake, for my sake, that he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but instead he wants everyone to repent. It's kind of like this, like we have three kids and anybody in the room that's had kids knows how this works. When the kids are younger and they're doing something that they shouldn't do, let's say they have picked up something. Like I remember when Jeremiah was like one, one and a half, and my man had a knife from the kitchen and was underneath the coffee table cutting holes in his shirt. And <laughs> but, but imagine like a moment like that, right? And as a parent, you want to you want to discipline the child to help them understand, okay, we don't need to be taking knives from the kitchen and cutting holes in our shirt, right? And so what do we do? We go up to our child and we say, you know, if you don't put that knife down at the count of three, right, you're going to get spanking, you're going to have to go to timeout or whatever your disciplinary method is, right? And so what do we do as a parent in that moment? I'm assuming that you're a lot like me in that you really don't want to have to spank your kid. And so you go, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a quarter, two and a half, two and three fourths, and we slow walk the count, right? Hoping that our child will drop the knife so that we don't have to discipline them any further. And when we think of this moment in time between the current church age and the rapture and the dam of God's mercy holding back the floodwaters of his judgment, you've got to see it in this way that it is God looking down at us saying, drop it, clean up, get your life right. One, two, and then he starts slow walking the process because in his heart, he wants every man and every woman to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that he doesn't want anybody to perish or to experience judgment. And this is what's happening in that moment and what Paul is trying to explain to this young church. And then he goes into verse three and he begins, Paul begins to make this shift in verse three and he begins to talk about not the rapture as much anymore, but that moment that the dam of God's mercy ruptures. And the floodgates of God's wrath is released. And this period of time is what we see on the graph is the tribulation. That it is the tribulation, the seven-year period of time. We see this in verse 3 when it says, when people are saying, and I, if you want to dig deeper into this this week, I want you to notice in verse 5 how Paul, when he's communicating 
Um, he's communing one part of the, the first couple of verses is, is really about us. It's Paul writing to these Christians about us. And if you notice here, he begins to shift from us, those of us that are followers of Christ, that are living for the Lord, into a shift of others, right? He says, when people are saying now, not us, but when people are saying, oh, everything is peaceful and secure. In other words, we're just going about our business, like just having a good old time. It doesn't mean that there's no difficulty or anything. It just means that they're more focused on, on their life and their stuff. And he says this, that, that when people are saying that, that at some point the dam is going to rupture and that then disaster is going to fall. Notice here, he doesn't say on us, he says on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. Now, it's easy to kind of like miss some of the, the context of that, but if I'm not mistaken, back when this was written and Paul was writing, there wasn't a whole lot of sonograms being done when, when ladies would get pregnant. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of like and plan, planned like induction of, 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 of having the labor, um, the, the delivery happen earlier than the expected due date. I mean, they, they, they weren't going to the doctor and being given a, a, a due date of when the baby's going to be born. Like there was, when he's writing this, it is, it is this explanation of, yes, we know we're pregnant, okay? Yes, we know that God is coming back at some point right, for his bride, but out of nowhere, like suddenly, all of a sudden, the woman begins to experience the pains of labor, which signify, right, that the baby's coming. <laughs> what Paul's saying is that these end times, that moment when the rapture happens and all of a sudden the tribulation is beginning to take off, that it is a a disaster that's going to happen suddenly like that. And I want you to notice what he says at the last part because it breaks my heart as a Christ follower. He says, and there will be no escape. There's going to be no escape. See, Paul, let's look at the diagram again. Paul is referencing this seven-year period of time, the, the tribulation. And so at this point, we've had the present church age. Jesus comes back to rapture the church, the believers. And now all of a sudden, what happens is, is that there is this seven-year period of time called the tribulation that happens here on earth. Now, when you look at this diagram and you think about the rapture, remember we've talked about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul mentions the two groups of people that are not going to get raptured, right? We talked about that. He, and this is his words. This is the way he said it. Those who don't know, that's unbelievers, and those who refuse to obey. Notice the wording of that. Unbelievers but then those who refuse to obey. These are people who believe with their head, but not with their heart. These are people that say like, okay, I believe there's a God, but nothing in their life reflects that. 
And he's saying here that those two groups of people are going to be left behind, right? Now, I personally, this is my personal position. This is not the, this theological position I'm going to give you. Um, if you don't believe that, it's fine. At the end of the day, it's, it does, it's not going to make a difference of whether or not we go to heaven or hell. It's just going to make a difference of how much hell you experience and how much hell I experience. Um, <laughs> I just play. <laughs> but here's my, here's my personal um, position, and I've got some verses that you can write down and you can study later because I don't have time to unpack it. But I personally believe that believers who are producing fruit in their life, not perfect, but if you look at John 15, it talks about being connected to the vine. It talks about the dead branches, the ones that are not being producing fruit, right? How they're being discarded, right? And so I personally believe that believers who are producing fruit in their life are gonna be gone at that point of the tribulation. Okay, I believe the rapture is gonna happen. God's gonna to bring out his bride. And for a period of seven years, those who were unbelievers or those who believed with their head but didn't produce the kind of fruit in their lives are gonna be, have to stay behind, left behind during the seven-year tribulation. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about the tribulation in just a second. But the reason why I believe that is Jesus compares this day of the Lord with two events in the Old Testament, okay? And I want you to write uh, this down so that you can look at it and at the end of the day, read scriptures, come to your own conclusion of what you're believing in your heart, but this is what I believe. Jesus compares the day of the Lord, the, the rapture moment and the tribulation to two Old Testament events. The first one is Noah and the flood. And you can look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 39, Matthew 24, 36 through 39. This is Jesus talking about that event and he compares the day of the Lord to that event of Noah and the flood. If you remember the story, right? If you remember the story, God brings Noah and the family up on the ark and then it starts to rain, right? And the flood of the rain destroys the rest of those who were not living the way that they needed to live, all right? The second one is Lot in Sodom. Jesus compares to that in Luke 17, 26 through 30. Luke 17, 26 through 30. And so Jesus compares the day of the Lord to both of those events, and if you notice in reading both of those events, there is a, a rescuing, a pulling out, a, a saving of those that are being not perfect, but are being obedient, that have a heart after Christ before the disaster or the destruction that comes upon the people who aren't. And so I, I read that, interpret that as why, if Jesus is saying that this day at the end times is gonna be the same as those two days, then why would he leave us behind to have to endure 
the pain of the tribulation. And so that's my position. Um, you can like it or not like it. It's really, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal other than oh, you're going to be, but hey. Uh, <laughs> so, so Paul here is writing in verse three, and he's talking about how uncomfortable this, this wrath of God is going to be, so much so that, there is, that there's no escape, okay? Some people say it's going to be impossible for anybody to even commit suicide because there is, there is no escaping the pain and the disaster that will be on earth over this seven-year period of time called the tribulation. Now, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 21. If you don't believe me, then maybe you'll believe Jesus. He said, this is going to be trouble on a scale beyond what the world has ever seen or will see again. Now, think about what our world has seen. The Holocaust, right? It's 11 million people killed. World War II with over 50 million people killed. Atomic bombs and slavery and terrorism. The Spanish flu of the 1900s that killed 50 million people. And Jesus is saying is that this seven-year period of time is going to be worse than anything that you've ever seen before or you will ever see again. And then Paul now starts getting a little, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now it starts getting, thanks Paul, you kind of make it plain. And then he begins to transition now into verses four through 11. And he begins to shift gears a little bit and to unpack the second question of what do we need to do? All right, if this is what it's going to look like, then then what do we need to do? And, and I would say just, just initially, before I share these three things of what we need to do, um, I think first and foremost, we need to get our life right, right? We need to, the first and, for, first and foremost thing is we, if we don't know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, then we need to accept him into our heart. Now, it's important to me that you know that this message is not intended to try to guilt you into faith, all right? I think that kind of faith uh, is a faith that doesn't last um, because it's not a faith that is generated from a heart of then wanting to please God. It's a, it's a faith that's generated out of fear, and that kind of faith does not withstand difficult seasons, <laughs> And uh, maybe you've been in a church that was like that, or as a kid, it was just pounded on you, like, like you better accept Christ, or you're going to die, and go to hell, and they're spitting, and like all kinds of stuff, and, and that's not what I'm doing here. We're just learning, what is it going to look like? What can we expect? But then here's what Paul says, remember, he's speaking to the believers right now, okay? He says, this is what we need to do. In verse four, he says, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And listen, you're not gonna be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. 
For you are all children of the light and of the day. That we don't belong to the darkness and the light. He says, here's what he says we need to do in verse six. So be on your guard. Not asleep like the others, but stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. He says in verse nine, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful that, that God has saved you today? But he saves us not to pour out his anger or wrath upon us, that Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, that we could live with him forever. And so I want to give you three just quick action steps of what Paul would be challenging us to do today, I think. Um, challenging us around this idea of what we need to do. The first one is this, that we got to wake up. I think he would look at, at us and say, listen, you got to wake up. Verse six, like you got to be on guard, not asleep. You got to stay alert. It's kind of like um, uh, driving down a back road and putting cruise control on, right? How many, and that's kind of how some of us live our life. We live our life our, our, our faith life on cruise control. And we end up, we, we stop making God a priority. We, we become insensitive to his voice and his direction, his leading. We become consumed with, with all the worldly things that are out there. We, we chase after the things that we think is gonna make us happy. And I think what Paul would speak to all of us in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back and that it's gonna, it's gonna be sudden, that he would say this, like, he'd say, man, I sure wish I could send a deer across the road while you're driving on cruise control in those back roads just to wake you up a little bit. <laughs> and I think he'd say to many of us, like, sit your life off of cruise control. Put your focus back on him. Make him a priority. Allow him to speak into your life and to direct your life again. So not only do we got to wake up, but he'd say, listen, you got to suit up. Like you got to wake up, but then you got to suit up. And he says here in verse eight, he says, he talks about being protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet, the confidence of our salvation. In other words, what Paul is saying is, listen, not only do you got to kind of wake up, but you got to suit up. You got to make sure that your heart is right and that your head is right. Heart and head. How do you make your heart right? He says, faith, it's the armor of faith and love. Faith is, is trusting in God no matter what, right? And, and the love, to love God and to love others. He uses the, the word agape in this verse, which agape kind of love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. So he's saying you gotta put this armor on of, of you might not feel like loving that person, but you've got to make the choice 
to love them. That there might be seasons in your life that you don't feel like loving God, right? Anybody ever been in a silent season where you just keep praying and nothing seems to be happening the way that you think it happens? And Paul's saying, listen, if you're gonna survive and thrive in the space between, then you've got to put the armor on over your heart and you've got to trust God no matter what. Even if, if things in my life don't happen the way that I think that they should happen or what I dream of or what I hope for, that I'm going to continue to trust God. And then I'm going to have in that trust, I'm going to have a love for God and a love for others that isn't dictated by feeling, but it's a choice. Like I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to choose to love God no matter what. And I'm going to choose to love my neighbor no matter what. And then he says, you got to put the helmet on, right? The helmet, which is the confidence of our salvation. In other words, what he's saying is you got to wake up in the morning. You got to put this helmet on understanding that, that I am his and he is mine. And that his word says in Romans 8, 28, that I'm going to fall short, that I'm going to miss it, that I'm going to make mistakes. But if I will continue to put my heart in his hands, that he will work everything out ultimately for my good. At the end of the day, he's saying, all I can do is win, baby. All I can do is win if I will put my heart in his hands. And then third, we got to wake up, we got to suit up. Last one, we got to man up or woman up. We got to man up or woman up. At the end of the day, you and I have to make a decision if we're going to thrive in the end days. We have to make a decision of am I going to live my life all about my business or his business? Is it going to be all about me or is it going to be all about him? In Luke 19, 10, Jesus, it says here, for the son of man came to what? To seek and to save those who are lost. And if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, then, then you and I, we need to man up and we need to woman up and we need to live our lives to seek and to save the lost. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, that all of this is a gift. In essence, like the fact that you have received Christ and received forgiveness of your sins, that you could live for him and with him for the rest of eternity without having to be perfect and having everything together, but you have a desire to reflect his image in your life. That you've gotten, some of you have gotten the gift of a marriage restored. You've gotten a gift of a lost loved one who's come back to the faith. Some of you have gotten the gift of, of freedom from addiction. And what Paul's saying here is that freedom, it's a gift. It's a gift that God has given you and me. And he says this, that God is then given us the task of reconciling people to him. Friend, one of the most ungrateful things that we could do in our life is to receive this amazing gift that God has given us. I almost fell right there. Did you notice that? 
I almost fell off the stage. <laughs> to receive this amazing gift. Then not do the only thing that he's asked us to do. How selfish. How selfish to receive the gift and then to go about living my life my way, about my business, about my stuff in search of my happiness. Instead of being about his business to seek and to save the lost. And so maybe you're here today and this is kind of like, it's kind of jarring you a little bit and you're like, okay, Ryan, I'll bite, I'll bite. Where do I start? And I want to give you three quick and easy starting points for you. If you're going to walk out today and you're going to say, listen, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to suit up, but I'm going to man up. Like I'm going to get my life off of cruise control that I'm not just gonna be a taker, but I'm gonna be a giver. I'm not gonna just take the gift that God has given me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a giver of that gift. And here's three easy ways that you can do that. Easy ways. The first one is this, is that on July 29th, we have a Dream Center event, an outreach that's gonna be to our community. And it's kind of a back to school outreach where we're gonna be helping um, parents that, that have a difficult time like coming up with the money for, for physicals and different things that we're gonna provide everything that we possibly can to be a, a blessing and to love on the people in our community. And so maybe it's, maybe it's being a part of that. And if so, listen, in two weeks, July 16th, there's gonna be an information meeting downstairs in the cafe with snacks. You could walk in and join that. Another easy way for you to get involved is connected to that little survey of the pain points that we did today. You see, on August the 13th, we are kicking off a series that we experimented with last fall called At The Movies. It's the biggest outreach series that we do in the year. And basically we take movies as modern day parables and we look at clips of the movies and we talk, we pull out spiritual truths and principles from those movies. Last uh, fall, we tried that. We had no idea how it was going to go across. And I mean, church, you guys ate it up. And not just ate it up as an entertainment, but just as, as what God did in your lives and, and those that are close to you that normally wouldn't walk in the church. And so here's, here's the opportunity. We're going to take your responses and then we're gonna to try to identify what are, the, what are the current needs in our community. And then we're gonna pick four movies and four biblical principles that attack those needs. And so here's what you can do to help us with that is you can begin to talk it up. We're gonna have invitations and we're gonna do social media stuff and, and you can help to get the word out to get as many people in here as we possibly can so that God can work through us in this modern day parable. And the third way is you can serve on a dream team. Maybe there's some of you today that God's given you a gift. He's given you a gift to, 
play an instrument or to sing or to love on people, be happy. Like I don't have the gift of being happy, but the, man, our first impressions team sure does. To be with kids or teenagers or whatever, he's given you a gift, a passion. And, and right now that gift has been on the sideline. One of the ways that you can man up or woman up is to say, listen, I, I'll join for the fall. Like I'll join a dream team. I'll help out. I'll use my gift to make a difference and an impact in the lives of others. And if that's you today, you can grab one of those connect cards in the seat back in front of you, check dream team. And there's black boxes on the walls as you go out that you can drop them in, but three easy steps. You can be a part of the dream team outreach. You can invite like crazy to at the movies in August, or you can join a dream team. Church, God has uniquely positioned us this fall. And I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more in the upcoming weeks, but let's not be the church that sits around praying for revival yet does nothing to help usher it in. Let's wake up. Let's suit up, let's man up, let's woman up. So God can use us to rescue as many people as possible from the coming disaster of God's wrath so the church, no one can be left behind. Amen. Would you bow your head with me today? Father, we love you. And as always, we're thankful for your word. Lord, right now in this moment, we just invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Friend, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to, I want you to just say this between you and the Lord. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Maybe for some, he's... He's telling you it's time to wake up or it's time to suit up or it's time to man up or woman up. But maybe there's some of you here today that the Holy Spirit is saying, your life is not right. Here's the challenging question that we all need to ask at some point in our life. If I died today, where would I go? Friend, friend maybe today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that it's time to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you today, I want you to just slip up your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna draw attention to you. I just wanna see who I'm praying for. Yeah, anybody else? With every head bowed and eye closed, if you raised your hand today and church family, I, I want all of us to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me for living life my way. Today I choose to surrender to you. Come live inside of me and change me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.